This is the Mindvox podcast hosted by Claire Jacobs. Mindvox is a space to talk about our minds and mental health, so we cover topics that can be of a triggering or sensitive nature. We will always highlight the topics we cover in the show notes of each episode's description, so please read these before listening. Please note we're not medical experts, we're only experts of our own mental health experiences. To find out more about the pod or contact us, find us on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter using the name Mindvox Pod. Hi everyone, what a week it's been. Uh, sadly we've lost our queen for those in the UK literally a week ago today from when I'm recording and I'm sure you've seen the coverage, it's absolutely everywhere and whether you're a royalist or not, I think what comes up is you've got a family there that have lost their mother, their grandmother, their great-grandmother and they're having to publicly grieve and for this it inspired me really to do this episode about loss and grief, particularly for young people. I feel like this week I've been seeing a lot more a conversation being opened up about how to talk to young people about death and loss of a loved one because of what's been happening and I'm quite happy about that because I myself I don't talk about it often but I do have two stepsons who are 14 and 12 they don't live with me because my partner were in a long distance relationship I consider them to be stepsons to me uh, whether or not they would say that I don't know but uh, that's that's for them to decide but from my point of view I feel like part of my role is to be a carer for them when they are with me, but also from afar. And a year ago, their mother passed away completely unexpectedly, completely out of the blue and obviously devastated them and my partner and ch- changed their world upside down. And, and we're still very much trying to cope with this and work a way through it because it's really hard to do. Um, I've tried myself to research ways to support children with the loss of a parent and I'm quite shocked with how little information there is. There's some generic larger sites like Crews who who deal with uh, bereavement and they offer free counselling for people that have lost someone uh, across across England. But even that obviously that's a well, that's great. I've used it myself when I was a child and lost lost someone in my family. And they've been going for many years and that's great. But I find there's not very much information, particularly for older children as well, about how to help them cope with it and what what parents, you know, the remaining parent should be doing. Uh, And that, I think, is why I started to look into this this week and wanted to try and create an episode for people in similar situations, but also just for people that that are intrigued because this can happen at any time. and, And I wanted to look at, what grief can look like for children and teenagers and how we can support them through it uh, because it's just if you know for adults it's it's horrific let alone for a child or a teenager who is still trying to learn about the world and themselves and their emotions and how to feel and to show their emotions so I thought it was really important to try and get that across and this is the theme for today's episode really and um obviously trigger warnings are in the episode show notes but it will be about death suicide things like that so 
if those things are things that you don't want to to really listen to today for whatever reason skip to another episode grief is different for all of us and for young people it can be even more complex whilst they're trying to still learn about the world around them and what I feel like is that there's absolutely no wrong or right way to grieve there's no textbook for this stuff Um, it's known that trying to avoid it though completely and pretend it's not there can have quite devastating long-term and long-lasting consequences for people and I think this is why I'm I'm extra scared for my stepsons because they don't really talk about it one of them doesn't at all and obviously I, I respect their privacy I don't want to go into too much about what's going on for them but this fear that my partner has about what's going to happen in the future if they don't start grieving if they don't allow any of it to be acknowledged if they don't find a way to express their feelings sort of healthily um so that's that's a big thing for us and me being far away it's even harder and even looking at our future of how do we do this in the future how do we ever get to a point of being able to live together now this this has happened and they will have their own feelings about too much change after having this horrific change happen to them. So let's start with childhood grief and what it can look like across childhood because, you know, childhood is a massive stage of life. A baby will experience it very differently from a 10-year-old who will also experience it differently from a 16-year-old. So I've done a little research. Bearing in mind throughout this, this episode, anything that I've researched, I will put links in the show notes to the relevant sites they are sites that are grief specialists so I have mainly looked at crews actually Um, I really like the way that they write and and things like that and I've looked at the Child Bereavement UK website I've looked at Mind for Mental Health Uh, they are the main ones that I've been looking at to get ideas as well as my own personal feelings about it and experience of being around grief in the ways I have but also as a social worker and working with children in foster care who have experienced grief and the training that I've received around that. So it's a bit of a mixture. Obviously, none of this, you don't have to listen to any of this. And then there'll be loads of other advice. Please feel free to to add that. I think you can now. I think some of the pod streaming sites allow you to comment on the pod. So add some more so that people can see it. Or add it on our Instagram and LinkedIn so that, that more people can get as much advice as possible. Because it's such a tricky time. So for the different stages, death can feel and appear quite different. So for babies, whilst they're incredibly young and you can assume that they don't experience anything, they actually do. Scientists and uh, psychologists have looked into it quite a lot. And whilst they won't necessarily respond to loss and grief the way that older children would, they might still feel the separation if the person they've lost is a loved one who cares for them often you know and physically so a main caregiver like a mum or dad um, foster carer whoever is that giving them primary care it can affect them actually quite a lot it can be seen sort of in their brain as an abandonment which heightens anxiety they quite quickly work out who their primary caregiver is you know within days weeks of their of their birth because that's the person that's mainly doing the feeding the nappy changes the cuddling responding to them every time they cry so when that person's suddenly not there they can feel quite a lot of distress when other people who smell different feel sound different are looking after them they they you know they pick up that straight away 
they can also pick up on other people's grief quite easily the atmosphere which is why you know you might, they don't understand the verbal language but sometimes if you are unhappy or upset i know when i when my son was a baby if i was going through a lot of stress i would feel like he was being a lot he a lot more tearful a lot more agitated and only now on reflection it's probably because he was picking up on the feelings that I had. So when you're grieving, you're feeling three million different emotions all at once, up and down. So it's quite easy for the baby to pick up on your own grief and that to affect their behaviours and their sort of security, I guess. For toddlers, whilst like babies, they're not still not quite aware of, of death and they're still not very verbal, they can recognise that someone is now absent and they can be quite anxious and even angry by that. So it could be common for them to cry louder, show more anger and frustration. They might be quite withdrawn, might lose interest in things like the toys they usually love playing with or even food. You might see them going around the house sort of looking in certain rooms where they used to commonly spend time with that person, looking for them, which is just heartbreaking. Now, when you come into the age of sort of three to five years, apparently this is where a child can start to have conversations, but they still don't understand what death means entirely. So they still at this stage have quite a limited cognitive ability. So they might not have much of a reaction when they're first told about the death. You know, they might just immediately go play with a toy or you know, go and have a bit of fun or demand that they have their snack or something. You know, that that's quite common. Um, it's almost like you can tell them that someone has died but at that age they will still possibly expect to see them at some point in the future they don't quite understand how permanent it is and towards the end of that stage they, some children might also believe that they caused the death to happen and those messages of guilt and it was my fault might start to be weaving in from that age and then carry through into teenage years, which obviously we don't want. So it's really important that conversations are quite open and, and it's reassuring for them that, no, you didn't do any of this, even from as young as age as that. From sort of five to ten, they do start to get a larger understanding of death. So they might understand that the person is not returning. And they also start to realise that they themselves will die one day. Now, I remember when I started clocking that myself as a child and the anxiety and the sad feelings and the fear really escalated. But for me, weirdly, it wasn't for very long. But I remember then when I was a teenager, it hit me again and it was awful. I think that was the first time I really felt what I would call a, a depressive episode, looking at the way I acted for quite a few months. And this is quite common for a lot of, for a lot of young people. Um, it's not it's not something that everyone does, but for some it can it can hit them harder than others. So recognizing that they might feel more anxiety when they they start to realise this, they might worry, they might have any questions. I think is, is really key because if you can answer those questions as honestly as possible it can really help them and reduce that anxiety and come to terms with I suppose the life cycle. Some kids will want details about the funeral. They'll also ask questions about death in itself and 
know, even things like what happens to the body. Well, we probably feel quite uncomfortable talking to children about things like that. It's not a nice thing for us to even think about, you know, things like decomposing bodies and we don't really know where we go. And some people have some thoughts, some have others, you know, it's an uncertain topic and it gives us a lot. It's not a nice thing to think about. Is it really about futures in that way? But psychologists will say that it's really important to answer these questions don't avoid them don't minimize them don't give them fluffy answers or you know even worse don't lie and say oh we just go and off like fairies take us and no you have to be honest about what happens in the process of death and there's loads of resources that you can google you know how do I tell my a child about what happens to a body when it dies and then they'll there'll be age appropriate resources so obviously always have a look before you know if they've asked you on the spot say look well let's talk about this later uh, and I need to have a read up on to I need to find a best way of explaining it or you can just distract them and then come back to it later you know well, let's just go have a snack first and then we'll talk about it tomorrow morning or something like that um, you don't have to answer it immediately but you do need to answer it I think is the key thing um, I think as well at this age children they might start to show compassion and empathy this is what I was reading and that, that Cruz was saying but I'm also mindful that so age is just a number and it can also be down to their educational needs they may have mental health conditions they may have neurodivergence they may have other conditions like global development delay things like that where we can't always go by the age uh, I think you have to gauge that so compassion and empathy might your child might have lots of that at the age of 10 but other children might not have any so it's about looking at where they are developmentally when applying this sort of stuff as well but if they do have compassion and empathy that's starting to form at this time it's really key that they're able to watch how adults are grieving I mean they will be constantly watching everyone around them and seeing what coping mechanisms they're using for their own grief and then they might try and copy those which is why I would be very mindful of making sure that if I wanted to cry I would cry obviously if I wanted to cry all day long that wouldn't be a great thing to show them but at times just crying and saying oh, I'm having a cry I'm really missing that person and I've just just had a thought about them and it made me sad and I miss them those sort of conversations that open feelings talk is really important because it shows them that they can do that too and not bottle it up and pretend they're not sad uh, and that you can still function whilst feeling sad. You know, that, that that's a really important thing, that, that life goes on, but you're still allowed to feel those feelings. You don't have to push them away, which is the real biggest thing, I think, that a lot of kids can accidentally misconceive. And that does go into adulthood. How many of us, as soon as we start to feel sad or cry, we immediately want to hide that from people. We want to sh pretend we're not crying. We want to blank it out and go do something else. A lot of us have been taught that. You know, I'm not blaming our parents, but... It's something that society have taught us so that we are realising now that it's, not, it's really not good for us. So we're trying to change the kind of next generations to not follow in our footsteps, essentially. They found that if adults appear to be struggling with their own grief, a child might hide their own emotions to protect that adult as well. So it's really important that I think that we recognise if we are really struggling that we maybe find other adults around us to, to support that child if we aren't managing at that point until we feel better enough to do it so that they can show them it's okay and give them that space to talk. 
Um, it's also if sometimes that can be incentive itself to stop yourself struggling. Like you can feel it, but hold on, I've got to be there for my child. They're feeling it too. And I need to, to create that space for them and show them it's okay to feel and don't, you don't need to protect me. I'm feeling sad, but I am still your mum, your dad or whoever. And I'm, I'm, I'm here for you as well. And let's do this together is a really important message. We don't want children learning to disguise their own feelings because an adult isn't doing it or because an adult's overdoing it. So it's, it's getting that balance, which can be really tricky. Um, and as I said, always seek advice if, if you're not sure from, I would say, somewhere like Cruz um, or your GP or anyone that you know who's gone through this process before with their own children. It's really important to give that child permission to show their emotions and talk about their feelings. And a great way of showing that is an adult doing that, as I've said. And, and that can in itself encourage the child to do it. And what's really important is to never make comments like, oh, we're strong, we don't cry. What are you crying for? We don't need to do that. Big boys don't cry, man up. Those, sort of, those sentences are horrific. And they will make those children feel that they need to shut their feelings away. And they might come out in later life or come out in other behaviours that are really tricky for them. What I've also been looking at is emotional signs of grief in children. What are the common ones? And these tend to, for when I've looked at them, they're pretty much the, the standard grief cycle that I think a lot of us know about. You know, the shock, denial, those sort of things. Um, when applying it to children, shock, shock is that it can be as soon as they're told. A lot of them apparently can laugh when they're first told about the news um, or be in complete disbelief. That's not true. You're lying. And that's not them trying to be rude. It's not them trying to act up. It's literally their brain trying to protect itself. That's a that's a protective mechanism. They might, as soon as you tell them, just completely ignore you and just go and play a game or go and tidy their room or go in the garden. And I think that's a way that the brain needs to distract so that it can process it. Obviously, some will cry, some will shout, get angry, some some will be inconsolable. But not everyone deals deals with it that way. Not everyone reacts to that shock in the same way. And it's really important to recognise that. Another sign is denial. And again, it's another protective mechanism. It's normal. We all have that at some point in our, in our grief cycle. And kids do too. It could look like they don't want to go to places like school. They don't want to go out because it could be that they are thinking, if I go out, what if, you know, that person comes home when I'm out and I miss them? I don't get to see them. They might suddenly decide they need to keep their room immaculately tidy um, or themselves, you know, constantly brushing their teeth, sorting their hair out because in their head they're thinking that person might randomly come home now and I want them to be really impressed with what they find. The other ways of denial is that they could actually go looking for them around the house, they might try and phone them, they might even go to their place of work to look for this person. This is really hard to watch and the advice from, from the research I've done is not to try and stop it, but to remind them the person is gone. But to also be aware yourself that it will pass in time, this feeling that they have, and they're doing it for a reason. Um, another one is anger, which is a really big one for a lot of people. Uh, grief is really painful. And during it, 
that pain can come out as anger. You can be angry that that person's gone, that you can't say goodbye if you didn't manage to, that you didn't know it was happening, that your life has had to change. You know, my I do believe, my, particularly one of my stepsons, has a lot of anger at the moment over every little thing. Now, some people can say that's teenage hormones kicking in, but what I'm seeing is it's, it's absolutely everything. And I have a feeling he does not talk about his mother at all. It's as if she... It's completely out of his mind. So for me, I feel like anger is his way of expressing what's going on inside, that he's literally depressing it inside. And every little thing, hes I think he's angry at the world. His whole life has had to change without him wanting it or knowing it was going to happen or having a say in it. And that's a lot to process at that age. It's a lot to process at any age. I mean, I'm incredibly awful with change myself um and to have everything change in in a overnight is is really tricky to then try and cope with so i think anger is a massive one it can turn inwardly on you so you could become a self-harmer you could abuse substances or alcohol you could start neglecting your hygiene so i'd always look out for that in a child or a teenager outwardly they might be constantly argumentative they might be verbally fighting with people they might be physically fighting with you or other people they might suddenly become really disruptive at school or or have tantrums that you wouldn't expect them to have things that you might have seen in them years ago they're quite common antisocial behavior committing crimes suddenly starting to do these dangerous sort of behaviors it's a way of getting that anger out so always look out for things like that Bargaining, that's another one. Bargaining's where you can start to almost plead for the return of that person. I'll be really good if you just bring them back. I'll do my chores, bring them back. I, you know, swap me for them. I will always be a good person. I will never do anything bad ever again. Just please bring them back. Um, whether that's them pleading to a God, a higher being, the universe. They're just it's trying to make that deal because you don't want life to change again that's another really painful one to watch but it's kind of trying to reassure them that that person's never coming back and i'm really sorry and it must really hurt and i myself would do anything to get them back but they're not going to come back but i am here and i'm ready to listen to you whenever you want and we can talk about it is possibly a, a way of, of handling that Guilt's another one, and that's a massive one, and that can last a long time. And it is a very, it's the one that I'm scared of the most, to be honest. I fear that my my stepsons might carry guilt when they don't need to. It was not their fault. They were not there. They didn't know it was going to happen. There's nothing they could have done to change what happened. She passed in her sleep when they were at their dad's. So for them I think there might be these worries of what if I'd have been home would I have been able to help the fact is you wouldn't have heard it was silently in her sleep you wouldn't have been even if you were there nothing would have changed actually it would have been more devastating because they would have had to go and be the first people to see that so there's things like that it's a massive thing and something that crews have on their website which really spoke to me was they described guilt as anger turned internally now I'm sure that's written elsewhere but it's something new to me Uh, so 
that is a real tricky one to think about. And again, it's that theme of that anger is going inside. And when they lose someone that's so close to them, they can start to quite easily think it's their own fault. And that guilt can increase if they were angry with the person before they died. So if they'd had a fight or an argument and they didn't get, you know, it wasn't a nice environment before that person passed suddenly, that can add to the guilt hugely. And they can start to show their guilt in behaviours like um, being very unhappy that they've forgotten about that person at some point during the day for like five minutes or ten minutes. That guilt of, I'm supposed to be thinking about them all the time, which they're not. Um, They might spend time, a lot of time, going over the ways that they could have prevented the death themselves, like I said about my stepsons. And that's a really tricky one to deal with, but it's always giving them that message that it's not your fault. You couldn't have done anything to prevent that. Depression is another one which we all know. Um, you know, it's it's a very difficult one. The common signs can be, you know, you're losing interest in hobbies, food, seeing people, sleeping, appearing quite confused or in a daze, feeling anxious more so than usual. And with grief as well, you can suddenly become within the depression quite fearful about other people dying and it becoming something you think about all the time. I certainly had that when I had that episode as a teenager. Death was on my mind all day long. Every day for about three months, I was crying to my nan on the phone every day. I wanted her to try and help me. and She would give me positives. She would say things and it would just be a tiny bit of distraction in a 12 hour period of real low. It was awful. And I think once they realise and they start to come to terms with the fact that that person isn't coming back, this is where the depression can really happen for some people. Um, And I would say just take it day by day and help them take it day by day. And it won't be forever. That feeling, the depression will, it will stop at some point because, you know, for anyone who also has depressive disorders, it does stop at some point. It can come back, but it does stop. There is always an end point for each episode. And we forget that when we're in the depths of it. Acceptance is seen as sort of one of the other stages and the end stage, if you like, of this grief cycle. But there's no knowing how long it will take to get there. And even when you do get there and when a child or a young person gets there, it doesn't mean that everything goes back to normal and they're absolutely fine. That doesn't happen. They will still feel upset and their life will never be the same again. But the acceptance is where they they, they know it's happened it can't be changed and they are trying to live their life moving forward alongside the pain. That's where the acceptance is. And I find that the physical signs of grief are also key to look at as well as these emotional signs because sometimes it's really hard to see a lot of the things I've just mentioned in some children. Like you would hardly see any of that in one of my stepchildren, for example. But physically, he gives a bit of it away. So for physical signs, what is also really important to remember is that these behaviours are usually temporary. They are only whilst they're initiating this grief period for a lot of them. Um, And once they start to feel secure again and start actually actively working through the grief, these behaviours usually disappear. If they don't and they're lasting a very long time, then the advice is to talk to your GP about it because maybe therapeutic work needs being done or you know things need to be looked at as to why they're sort of stuck in that 
So some of the physical signs could be things like mood swings and tantrums a lot, more than they ever had. You know, it's not just typical teenage hormones or going through the stages of childhood. It's a lot. Becoming more aggressive, being withdrawn and isolating themselves from everybody, undereating, overeating, or becoming very, very fussy with food. Psychosomatic illnesses is a thing as well, which I find quite interesting, where they might describe pain or feeling unwell in specific places where we can feel some of that grief. So headaches, because, you know, the thoughts are always there. Stomach pain, because a lot of our grief, it does, it feels like you're getting stabbed and hit in the stomach. It's actual pain, isn't it? But they'll start to just say, my tummy hurts, I don't want to go to school, my tummy hurts, I've got a really bad headache. That's kind of, it can be a sign that they're grieving and it's that, it's emotions rather than actual physical stuff. They might also start to become quite concerned about getting ill. So having a fear of germs might begin, not wanting to touch toilet handles and normal door handles and might be washing their hands to excess. All these little things might be, be happening for a period of time that you should always be aware of. They might in terms of sleep, they might sleep a lot more, a lot less. They might be having broken sleep where they're up and down all night for quite a long period of time. Some have a lot of nightmares. All of this is totally normal. They might regress back to earlier parts of their childhood. So you might have a 12 year old who suddenly wants to suck their thumb, who is eating with their fingers. They might suddenly have like baby talking language. They might wet the bed. Things they haven't done for a long time might suddenly happen again. And you feel like you're sort of back five years ago. But again, as I said, this stuff should stop. If it doesn't, um, then you do seek advice. But, But it is common for all of these sort of things to start showing. When I look at how to help a child with their grief, there's quite a lot of different things that, that are helpful. Um, there's things like don't show alarm if they respond in a way that you don't respect expect not respect (laughs) so when they're doing some of the behaviors we've mentioned when they're a 12 year old sucking their thumb don't react with sort of a quizzical face or go what are you doing why are you doing that or if they wet the bed don't shout at them for it these things are going to be happening and they're going to stop but if you're pointing them out they don't need on top of that feeling weird or feeling bad you know they just need to feel these feels really I think reassuring them that it's okay to show their feelings however they need to as long as they're not hurting anyone is a vital message to to continually repeat to them if you are having to explain that the person has died so, so going right to the start of this the advice is always to use very clear wording and permanent wording so you wouldn't say she's gone to sleep because they might think that's temporary. You have to be clear no matter what age they are. This person has died. And whilst it sounds harsh and people can feel quite guilty for saying it that way, it's really important that it is said in a matter of fact way. It has to be clear and concise. That information has to go into the brain whilst it's going through this huge cycle of shock and it will absorb things the wrong way if not, you know, if done in a long drawn out cotton woolly sort of way it does need to be to the point you can then support them and give them that nurture and everything straight after but that message that the brain needs to internalize has got to be clear 
they say that talking openly with them, encouraging them to ask any questions they have at all, whenever they have them, is really important. And showing them ways to express their feelings, like the anger that we mentioned. Showing them how to do it safely, where they won't hurt themselves or others. So it could be things like punching pillows, encouraging them to go for a run or do a massive exercise half an hour like cardio session when they they're getting really 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 angry or really really sad listening to music with lyrics that really resonate with what's going on for them that is another huge one because for me I can't express how I feel but if I hear music that expresses it for me it it does something very therapeutic to me and I might have that song on loop until I have sort of processed it and then I don't need to hear it again for years it's quite a thing for me. Um, they do say it might be an ADHD or autism type thing, but you know, anyone can experience things like that. I think as well, if we're supporting them and they're showing a lot of their behaviors at us, you know, trying to hurt us, break our things, say awful things to us. It's really key to remember that it's not personal. They believe that you are their safe person. They trust you. They trust they trust that they can show you what's going on for them and that you won't judge them or leave them for it. So they're going to give you everything that's going on in them. And all you need to do is remind them when they're doing that, that you love them and that you are there for them and you care and that you're not going anywhere. Obviously, we won't say that bit out loud because death, who knows what's going to happen. And I always fear about that sentence of oh, I'm not going anywhere because I get scared. What if I say that the next day I get, you know, something happens to me they'll think I lied so always be aware of how you word things if the child's bargaining and going through that please I'll be good if they can just come back there's advice about helping them to feel to to allow them to do this and not to try and get them not to because they need to know that it's okay this is a normal stage and I think this is their way of trying to feel in control of what's going on for them and it does pass so it's it's more a case of when they're doing the bargaining thing, it's you ignoring it. You can remind them that, that the person is gone, but you don't need to be getting worried about the pleading and the, the bargaining they're trying to do because that doesn't last forever. And I think that was a key message that I can imagine how scary that must be to see a child doing that um, for however many weeks, months that, 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 that they feel they need to. Reassuring them that they're not responsible for the person's death is a major one. It isn't their fault and there's nothing they could have done to have changed the outcome. If they're a bit older, you can give them reasons why. You know, you can say, right, walk it walk it through with me what you could have done differently again. And let, let's look at this and pick it apart and go, well, no, you could have stayed at home with them. Yeah, but you would have been asleep when it happened. And if they were doing that silent, if they were, you know, dying in their sleep, you wouldn't have heard it or you know any any of the scenarios obviously you will want to prepare it in case the story comes to you they, the questions come to you or you hear them blaming themselves you want to be carefully thinking about everything that they might be questioning so that you can counterattack it and be in a nice way obviously and saying no this is not how it happens anything you you think you could have done you couldn't you are not the reason you didn't make mistakes it was always going to happen that way and it could have happened to anyone and the core message is obviously it's not your fault because that that sort of guilt can last a lifetime and come out in awful ways and and it's just I, I just upsets me to think about it. 
If they are coming across as quite depressed, their advice is obviously take it one day at a time. That's my personal advice with depression. Help them find tiny positives in their day. This could be something like they got out of bed today. They managed to eat breakfast. Oh, look, acknowledge that you actually got changed or you did your teeth. These tiny little achievements can be so helpful when you feel like you're achieving nothing and that you're worthless. So always finding the tiny glimmers of hope within these awful massive stages of grief is really important for them and I think maintaining routines throughout all of this whilst they might push against some of the routines you're giving them if especially if they're different to what they were used to the important thing is a routine will help them feel secure regardless even if they don't enjoy it they will feel secure which is vital And another area really that I've also looked at is teenage grief, which is different. You know, they are older. They do understand the long-term implications of losing someone um, and how challenging it is and the pain is felt. And they understand a little bit more about how to feel those feelings. So they can have quite intense reactions to death. Mixed in with the fact that they've got hormonal and developmental changes going on in in puberty, it's it's quite a lot at once. So you can get teenagers who will openly grieve and be able to vocalise what's going on for them. But you also get others that are the complete opposite. I'm wary of the ones that are very mature in their grief and they appear quite adult-like. I'm wary that some people will, will take that as they know what they're doing. We don't need to support them. You do. They're still a young person who still needs that nurture and support, even if they look like they are getting on with it and going through the stages well themselves don't assume they're not an adult even if they're trying to look like that there's they still need that help i think with teenagers ways that they might experience their grief could be that they revert to much younger behaviors as we've said before they might not talk about their feelings at all and appeal appear like they've got none which i'm experiencing uh they might seek support from people away from the family which is fine you know a friend uh a teacher anyone whoever they feel comfortable talking to is the person they should be allowed to talk to they might be trying to act like an adult to take over from the person who passed away feeling like it's their role and obviously therefore they need reassurance that that they do not need to be doing that they might be worrying about who's going to care for them now so having those open questions and and answer sessions and reassuring them where you can is vital they might be self-harming or self-medicating with substances or alcohol so always be mindful of this so you can support them as I've said before, they might be doing risky, dangerous behaviours. They might be expressing their anger a lot more often and a lot more easily. And they might be very hyper aware of death. So to help a teenager with grief, it's things like reassuring them that they can talk to whoever they feel safe and even offering to find a therapist if they want or if you feel that, that it would be really helpful. But they have to want to do it, I think is a key message that most of the therapists will say. And sadly, my um one of my stepsons didn't want to do it um but i'm hoping at some point he will as he recognizes it's not going anywhere uh, but we can't force him and that leads into the advice of gently encouraging them to open up about how they feel and i think the best way whenever i've had to talk to kids about real tricky things especially teenagers is is doing an activity where the focus isn't isn't on each other so they're not looking to me head on and we're having a, a formal chat it works best driving home driving somewhere you're both looking out the window it's less pressure it's more chit chat and you can get the most in, the most powerful information from them baking with them drawing with them um, 
activities like any arts and crafts together really can open up a dialogue about emotion and they don't even realize they're doing it and they feel safe because they're they're busy doing something relaxing um clay and sand all those things are great they're so sensory things whilst they're talking can be really comforting and i think with a teenager talking about the good memories you have of the person they lost can encourage them to talk as well if if they're someone that has been avoiding it but then even if they don't talk just listening to you talking about that person with positive memories can really give them the comfort that they are not getting otherwise it can help them remember things that they probably aren't during the grief they probably focus on the negatives and that there's so much pain they forget some of the most fun happy lovely times with that person so it gives them a little bit of positive distraction about that person during the process I think as well trying to encourage them to find positive constructive behaviors when they want to distract themselves from it like art baking sport reading all those sorts of things as opposed to the destructive behaviours. And I've done other episodes on destructive behaviours, if you want to go take a look, because there are a lot of them that we can do. <laughs> and I think, so So giving them ideas of things they can do, trying them with them, if they actually enjoy them, they might do those things whenever they're feeling sad or angry, as opposed to some of the more harmful things. All you can do is try. You know, this isn't necessarily going to ha- work, but it's worth trying. And I think encouraging them not to distract from the pain all the time is that balance. We want you to distract sometimes so you're not constantly feeling that pain, but we don't want you to do it all the time where you don't ever feel it and then it becomes depressed inside you and burst out in other ways or doesn't come out till you're much older and, oh, it's just, it's it's awful to, to not acknowledge the feelings at all. It's very dangerous for your mental health in the long run. So trying to get that balance between just, you know, distracting at some points, but also giving yourself time to feel it. Like maybe you'll watch some videos of that person and then they'll happen to be coming in the room at the time and you can sit with them. Maybe you'll go eat at that person's favorite place or you'll yourself talk about some of the feelings you're having or the memories you're having to help them identify with it every now and then. You know, you could be doing something at home going, oh, God, I remember when so-and-so did this as well, do you remember? And just bringing that conversation, bringing them into daily conversation in nice ways helps them not avoid it. There's another type of grief that obviously I didn't realise that I was reading this, but it's called complicated grief. And I really want to mention that. I'm, I'm aware I don't want to be talking to you for hours, it's not fun, but complicated grief is huge. It's a different kind of grief. It's obviously with grief there's no time limit but usually whilst you're grieving at some point you start to move on with your life whilst also still feeling it that's sort of standard grief but people can get stuck in the grief and not move forward and that's called complicated grief and it's more likely to happen if a young person has lost a parent or a primary carer a sibling or a best friend it's also it's also even more likely if that, that death was sudden and unexpected or due to suicide. With the suicide, they might have that stigma of suicide and, and that is an awful thing for a young person to have to take on and feel. But there's also, if it was sudden and unexpected, they, again, like we said, might feel it's their fault. Other things that can also 
make it more likely to become complicated grief are things like if the child's not great with resilience, they don't have very high resilience skills, they have poor coping skills, they've lost multiple people, or they've had other losses as well, such as parents divorcing, all these other these cha- major changes that they're trying to cope with as well. If you think I want to look out for that, have they got complicated grief? The signs are things like always being negative, having a negative outlook on the future, there's no hope, uh, finding it hard to trust other people, being very bitter about the death, you'll hear it when they talk about it if they do, not wanting to spend time with anyone, do anything with anyone, um, even though they used to really enjoy certain things, they're just not interested, being quite argumentative, agitated and frustrated a lot more often, even having difficulty to accept that the death has happened at all and struggling to move on with their life are the, the key ones. And obviously the biggest sign is the way they present is still exactly the same as when it first happened. It could be a year, two, three years on and they're still exactly the same as when they were in the first month of grief. And they advise that you see a GP if that is, is going on, um, as well as looking into therapeutic services like MIND, Cruise, any local services you have for young people who are grieving. So I would, again, I'm going to put some links for sort of organisations that are nationwide for England. But, you know, your own GP should be able to point you in the direction of your own local services, wherever you are. There is also another one about funerals. Should a child go to the funeral? That's something that I see a lot. And I believe that they should be given the choice no matter what age they are. But they should they can only really give an informed answer if they know what the service would look like. So I think it's important to talk to them about how it looks from the start you walk in to the end of it. What sort of things happen, how people might be. Some will be crying, some will be silent, some will be smiling, some will be doing a mixture of it all. Explaining the reason for why we do it. We do it because it's a way of saying goodbye to that person. You know, this the giving them a chance to have a speech if they want, if they want to talk about that person. I think getting them involved in the funeral process, even if they don't want to go to the funeral, is really important. If it's someone that's so close to them, helping, you know, they might pick some of the music. They might know, have a favourite piece of music that reminds them of that person or they know it was that person's favourite song. So them saying, I really want that song in in the service, it's important. They might want to choose the type of flowers or the colour. They might want to write a speech. But the important thing is not to give them any pressure. They're allowed to change their mind at any point and reminding them, you don't have to, if you suddenly don't want to go or you suddenly do, absolutely fine. You choose what you're going to do. If they don't want to go, a great way of celebrating their life in a different way can be things like writing a letter to the person who died and it could be put in the coffin or it could be, I don't know, burnt in a process or it could be put somewhere. Um, It could be visiting the grave when they're ready to. I love memory boxes for things like this. I think it's really important. And when I had grief therapy as a 12-year-old myself, um, the therapist talked to me about making a memory box and write, sort of drawing a memory book of my favourite memories. But with a memory box, you might put in their favourite jumper or their watch, their jewellery, um, something that smells like them, photos of you guys together, cards that they wrote you, like birthday or Christmas cards, something like that. Um, in a box so that it's always there and whenever you want to think about them you can go and have a little look through and it's just carrying that bit of them around with you really wherever you end up living that box can go with you um so yeah those those are the things that i've i've come across i hope this is useful 
Obviously, feel free to add your own advice on our Instagram comments for when I publicise this. I'm going to turn this into a blog post as well for people that just want to read up on it to refresh their memory on some of the stuff that I said rather than listen to me rabbit on for a second time. Um, I will also put links to some useful resources that I found about this subject at the bottom of the show notes. So please give them a read. Um, I hope it's helpful. If you are grieving the loss of the Queen or your young people are, I've also got a link to Mind who have written a few tips on how to help a child support, be supported around the loss of the Queen. Um, so it doesn't have to just be about people that are close by to them. So thank you for listening. I hope you guys are all okay. Um, I hope you guys are talking if you are feeling the effects of of the nation's loss. If you are a, a UK listener or elsewhere, I'm sure she was she was loved by a lot of people across the world. Um, aside from that, if you are so anti it, just remember, please respect that other people have lost this person and all that sort of, if you can't say anything nice and kind and don't say anything is pretty much my motto around this one at the moment um but my thoughts are with you all guys and if ever you want to ask me anything you know my d my dms are open as well which is single parent pessimist on instagram take care and hopefully i will have another one for you next week if you've liked this episode please help us out by liking subscribing or leaving us a review as this helps us to reach more people If you've got any ideas about topics to cover on future episodes or questions about the pod, or you even want to be interviewed for it, please get in touch on our socials using at mindvoxpod on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter, or email us on mindvoxpod at gmail.com.